0: I love serendipity, and so does Karen Buxman. Today, I am introducing you to Karen Buxman. She's a neurohumorist, and Karen has helped me improve my interaction with people, and I want her to do the same for you. Karen and I have a special connection to the importance of blood donation, so please stay until the end of the podcast and learn how you can help save lives. Welcome to Serendipity Stories. Thanks so much for joining us. I am very happy to have with me today, Karen Buxman. Karen and I met back in 2018. Karen, I had to look back through my notes to find when we first met. And I think I knew you before that, but we didn't really talk until 2018. And at that point, you helped me stop taking life so seriously let me share a little bit of the notes that I have from when we met so Karen and I met at an event Um, I have my journal look at all the little tabs sticking out of it I make note for you so Karen I have this you and I were talking about psychology and how important our psychology is and you had shared with me to adopt daily humor hmm dance in the day, do something to make it fun. Intentionally intentionally look for the lighthearted. And you said, see the struggle before the frustration and jump in early to get a result. And then on the next page, I love this. I have a smiley face that I drew and next to it, I wrote, stop being so serious. <laughs> Yay you. <laughs> so that is that is my connection with you. I loved looking through my notes last night because I knew I had something fun about us in there. And since that conversation, Karen, you helped me look for when something isn't going right. It's how can I find the humor in it? How can I add a little more humor to my day? Because I have to admit, before I started a lot of the um, personal growth stuff that I've done, I used to be the person that was trained to get in front of a group and just be serious. And at the time, we described it as professional. And since then, I've had so many people say to me, relax, lighten up, soften a bit, let people see the fun side. And I honestly had two versions of myself. I had the professional Mm. Linda that got in front of a group. And then I had the Linda that if you were in my inner circle, I would let you in and you'd see the funny, lighthearted, silly. I can't believe she said that kind of Linda. (laughs) So thanks for helping me tap into that, but just your, your ability to see things differently and to help people, your Ted talk about the importance of humor in life. I just thought it was really important for people to connect with you and for you to keep sharing that story at even a larger audience than you already have.
1: Thank you. Thank you for that. And it's nice to know that it actually made an impression on you because I tell this to almost everybody and very few actually align with it. So, you know, and, and and which Linda do people, you know, really want to connect to? It's, you know, it's the fun Linda, it's the playful Linda, it's the, oh my gosh, I can relate Linda. So that's, that's fabulous. Good for you.
0: Yeah, it's, And that's
1: the one that I tend to know, you know, so that's the persona, which is probably why we're resonating and having this conversation
0: right now. Well, over the past probably five years, I've just learned a lot about being authentically me with everyone and not saving that, like to stop having a professional Linda, like that yeah. years ago, that was okay. You remember how you wanted to get in front of the group and you, I was trained to not make a mistake to present perfectly. Yeah. And I, I went to an event um, that Bo Eason put on and, and got some coaching and basically was told that's not how people present anymore. Soften up and interact because that will get instruction across to your audience, but it will not connect. And ooh, that that was an aha moment. And I just feel your humor, Karen, your approach to it is what connects people. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: Years ago, who was it? Victor Borges said laughter is the shortest distance between two people. And I mean, I've had so many wonderful influencers in my life, a a wonderful gentleman, C.W. Metcalf, who I hadn't thought of in years until you said that, but he coined the phrase terminal professionalism. And I think that, that what happens a lot in the world of business is that we confuse seriousness with solemnness i don't i don't know where those two became enmeshed but this this idea that to to convey a serious message we have to be all buttoned up and we have to be all solemn and it's like mm, you know that's creating this barrier in terms of you know i love the brain and i love studying the brain and um, this one of the things that creates resistance in the brain is a difference in status when the other person perceives you as having a little bit better status however they 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 choose that but then you know it's like oh you know is this person better than me or are they smarter than me and the brain starts going on and, on and we just create this uh, a little bit more space than what we really want to have between one another.
0: Well you teach executives to soften up and to be more fun. I know we're talking about serendipity today but Karen, you're yeah. a neuro humorist. I- I'd love for you to let people know more about what that is.
1: Just in case there's not anybody thinking, oh, Linda, another neuro humorist. <laughs> just, you know, just like in a nutshell, I've been researching the brain and humor since the late 80s. And it was a serendipitous moment. And, and you and I will get into that a little bit more. But once I stumbled upon humor and just how powerful it was. It just became life-changing, and and one of the insights that I've had over the last decade was that so many of us think about humor as entertainment, and who doesn't love being entertained? I mean, I love laughing, but then I came upon the realization that entertainment's just one purpose, and that two other purposes of humor are influence and well-being, and in terms of high performers who want to connect with people um, anybody who wants to connect with another person you don't have to be funny you know unless you want to be an entertainer you don't have to be funny but to leverage that humor because we know that part of humor when it's done positively and constructively is is going to build relationships and build rapport and strengthen those connections and in this world today people are feeling so disconnected and you know if we can give people the tools to just add a little bit more connection i just i think that that i mean the divisiveness in in so many areas of of life right now every every things are so polarized and to be able to soften that up to decrease the threat to to strengthen the connections like man if i can if i can help with that sign me up
0: put me in coach <laughs> Tell me more about that serendipity moment that brought you to humor.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, I, my background is nursing. Uh, I started out, uh, I worked in med surge. I worked in OR, I worked in ER, I worked in the intensive care unit, I did air ambulance, I taught OB, pediatrics, geriatrics. Psych, and I know some of your people are thinking, oh, she couldn't hold a job, but really <laughs> this whole thing is, is a growth mindset. I love learning, and so uh, I began teaching nursing, love that, but to do that, needed to, um, to go back to grad school. And so was looking at, well, what am I going to do for research? What am I going to do in terms of, of um, uh, not just research, but the, the um, I'm just having a blank moment here because I'm trying not to cough. <coughs> Sorry, we got a little allergy thing going here. <coughs> Sorry about that. So I went back to grad school and had to do research and a thesis. And I was looking at, because my advisors convinced me to look at the locus of control of eating disorders of adolescent children, really pretty heavy stuff. And then somebody, a a coworker gave me a nursing journal, passed it over to me uh, to, to look at something. And when I flipped it open, there was this little paragraph in it. And it was a paragraph. It wasn't even what she intended me to look at, but it was a paragraph about a nurse researcher who had researched the use of humor by Native American Indians. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, somebody researched humor. And it it just flipped my thinking. And so I started looking more into this and I looked into this nurse researcher and it was like, this is what I want to study. And after a lot of, of, whining actually to my advisors <laughs> they said mm, you know okay let's let's explore it you know give us and and because of that um somebody else when I told them oh I, I want to learn more about um humor and I remember uh, they, my advisor said if you're really serious about this you need to go to this conference it's a laughter and play conference in Florida at the time and I, I was like how am I ever going to afford this but my my um university said if you'll come back and present on this then you know we'll pay your way so it's like oh yay so i go without knowing a soul and as i'm standing on the sidewalk waiting for a shuttle to the hotel in tampa i, I strike up this conversation with a, a woman and just said you know are you are you going to this hotel what brings you there we started talking she's going to the conference. And this woman takes me under her wing, uh, Kathleen Pasanisi, and she immediately starts introducing me to the concept of speaking and getting paid to speak. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And that took me down so many additional paths that I wasn't expecting. And because somebody knew that I was interested in humor and nursing. Um, somebody else showed me a little clip in a in the back of a magazine because I'm in grad school I would never have had time to just like flip through but there was this little like two to three sentence advertisement that said you know are you interested in writing and humor you know if so contact me and it was like I love writing I love humor this is in a nursing journal sign me up and so I reached out to this gentleman and it was Doug Fletcher. This gentleman changed my life because he had this idea. He said, I want to start a magazine, a humor magazine for nurses. And here's my vision. And it, I I said, I, I, I have to be a part of this. And because I was a part of that, we started co-creating this and, and reaching out to people and having other people reach out. And one of the things that happened along the way was the person whom I had seen as this this wonderful um, just role model for me, Vera Robinson, you know, kind of untouchable or whatever, it ended up that we connected through the magazine, and ultimately she ended up writing a chapter for one of my books in terms and 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 basically passing the baton on to me. Um, it, there's just so many instances in which these little things drop here's a crazy one I'm I'm just graduating from grad school and uh, because I'm in a small town and, and it's two hours each way to where I go to grad school and so I had gone through every every book on tape, that dates me, but it was all, they were on dates back then. I go through every book on tape in the Hannibal Public Library. I've exhausted the search because I wanted to listen to something on the way. And so somebody hands me uh, at work a Nightingale Conant Magazine. And they said, oh, here's some additional things to listen to. And because the cheapest thing in the whole catalog was a $10 tape by Zig Ziglar, um, I ordered this tape, it's on goal setting like oh my gosh you know why did nobody ever tell me about goal setting but because of that i start setting goals for myself one of the goals i decided was i want to i want to be a national expert in my field in 5 years and an international expert in my field in 10 years and so that's kind of just going in the background And then one day I get a letter. I don't even know how they found me. Again, serendipity. How did I get on their mailing list? No idea. But it's a call for papers uh, on humor. It's academic, and it's gonna be in Paris, France. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert right now enough to be presenting in Paris, France. But in 10 years, I am going to be an international expert. So I guess this is an opportunity to practice. Mm -hmm. And so I filled out the application. And three weeks later, I get a letter inviting me to present in Paris, France. What? And when I'm in Paris now, serendipitously, I'm meeting all the people that I'd read about in my region. I'm meeting Paul McGee. I'm meeting William Fry. I'm meeting Waleen Salama. I'm meeting Regina Barreka. And it's like, how did this happen? You know, and because of these people now looking upon me as a colleague, again, it just keeps going out and out and out. And these are the kinds of experiences that it feels like I have, you know, almost daily, but, you know, certainly uh, regularly, weekly, and, and you know, and even us, the, when you go back and you start connecting the dots and start looking backwards, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened, but oh my gosh, thank God it did.
0: I have different stories where I have those sort of moments show up for me and I write them down. And now when I go back and look in my journals and I'm interviewing some of these people, it's so fun to tell them about the feeling I had yeah. for me, a big part of into of um, serendipity is listening and acting on my intuition. Yeah. yeah I yeah. know I've had family members say to me, oh gosh, mom, you're not going to go talk to that person. Are you, you know, and, and, And I will talk to the person and there's something because there's something inside my head saying, bring this up. I have that happen over and over. When I talk with different people, it will bring up something completely what feels like out of the blue. But it's as if there was this little tap on the shoulder of you're connected to this person. You don't quite know it yet. I describe it as all of us being connected through like these really uh, spider threads kind of. And and when you talk with them, all of a sudden the threads thicken and you start to realize why you're talking to this person. I have that
1: experience all the time, Linda, when, I mean, the more I travel the world, the more the world shrinks, you know, it's just that I can be on the other side of the planet. I can be in Bangkok and meet somebody who I'm connected to, that they're connected to, and that we're interested in, and I can't believe I've come all the way here and I'm, I'm stumbling into this person or I'm having this experience that I never anticipated. It's just,
0: it's so delicious. And you talk about the goals and I, I love goals. That's what my book is about, dusting off your dreams. I mean, that's what it's about is start taking those dreams, make them goals. And the one that you and I've talked before that we have in common that just makes me laugh is I grew up in New Jersey, always wanting to live in a sunny place. I can remember Uh, being seven years old, looking through the college catalog from my older siblings, and they'd say, Linda, where are you going to go to school? And I'm like, California or Hawaii. And they'd be like, yep, sure you will. Sure you will. And sure enough, I went to school in California. I still live in California. And you have a similar, you never know where you're going to end up California story. You know,
1: it's, it's so fascinating because even when I was a little kid, you know, I'm four or five years old and I'm telling my parents, we're supposed to live on an ocean. We're living in Hannibal, Missouri. This is as far from oceanfront property as you could possibly get. They don't even know. How do you even know about the ocean? I mean, we have the Mississippi river. Um, And my dad mistakenly told me he almost took a job in Hawaii and decided to go to Hannibal, Missouri instead. I'm thinking, what were you thinking? But that had always been in the back of my mind. You know, i was supposed to live in an ocean. And and through a series of events where, I, you know, I had sick children and I had a sick parent and, and it ended up going through a divorce and things that I would not have anticipated, I end up at a place in my life where I'm now in a position when my kids are healthy, my parents, you know, are now being well taken care of. And, and all of a sudden, I'm single and wasn't expecting that. And... I can live anywhere on the planet and it's like, okay, I want to live someplace warm in the winter, close to an ocean and close to an airport. And I'm doing all sorts of different kinds of research. And I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be probably South Carolina or Florida because we vacationed there, but I have a repeat engagement with a client in San Diego at a real estate company. And, you know, I, as I'm speaking for them, I'm just kidding. I'm saying, oh yeah, maybe I should live here. And so what do they do, you know, after my presentation, they start driving me around and showing me property and you know the whole time I'm saying oh yeah but you know I I couldn't really live here and they're saying oh but if you did live here, which one of these houses i see now fished in, you know, which one of these houses would you like? Well, I like this one and this one. Oh, that one already sold. But what about this one? I, you know, I, I could, but if you could do it, you know, what would you offer? And I'm like, I have no idea. Well, you know, they offered this much, but it fell through. I'm like, well, that seems reasonable. It's like, but that would, I, that would never work for me. And they're like, well, what, let's just, you know, and the next thing I know, I'm calling somebody and saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait until you see my home here in San Diego. And when that came out of my mouth, I realized I'd referred to my residence of the last 25 years as my house. This was my home. And now I'm living someplace warm in the winter, close to an ocean and close to an airport. It's like, holy cow, holy cow. You know, it's just like, you have this intention, you have this in your mind. And as it it germinates, I think, because maybe I hadn't put enough energy and attention on it, but when I started putting energy and attention on it, um, can I tell you another story? Yes. <laughs> it's another one that that talk about, you know, as I, as I went through my divorce, I remember thinking the first time that I got married, maybe wasn't with intention, you know? It was like, oh, this is fun. And everybody else my age is getting married and everybody else my age is having kids and oh, this is what I should be doing. And I thought, you know, if I do this again, because I don't know if I want to do this again, but if I do, what would that look like? What would that look like? And so I get out a journal. It's like, as I'm driving three days across the country to San Diego, where I don't know anybody. And as uh, as I'm thinking, okay, what would I like? And the very first thing I put on there, romance, Uh, because the person that I was married to, that just wasn't. In their vernacular that wasn't part of who they were, you know, it was like, Oh, I got camouflage for birthday presents and I got things with electrical cords for Christmas presents, and things with nonstick surfaces, you know, not, not exactly what I would consider romantic. And. So, you know, the second thing, somebody who respects my children. Third thing, romance, you know, what else do I want? Somebody who makes me laugh, what else? Romance, what else? Somebody who loves the ocean, what else? Romance, what else? Somebody who loves stargazing, what else? Romance, romance, romance. And I thought, you know, this person ever shows up, I'm gonna recognize him. Fast forward a couple years later, I get an email from somebody. And, you know, in this industry of speaking, we're constantly meeting with colleagues, just brainstorming ideas, nothing more than that. And this person says, you know, can I invite you to coffee I got this great idea for a speech and I'm thinking, I'm coffeeed out but this gentleman has has sold over three and a half million bucks. And so I'm going to pick his brain on his dime. he's probably not going to be sharp enough to figure that out. And so we go to a coffee shop we at 1130 sit down with a bagel and coffee and we talk about a speech and we talk about life and we talk about speech and then he says do you need to get back home or can i buy you another bite to eat and i remember thinking that's too bad all this guy thinks about is food because we sat down 1130 with a bagel and it's only seven o'clock at night i kid you not it was a time flies when you're having fun right i couldn't believe it so we walk two blocks sit down to pizza, 10 minutes later, it's 1130 at night. It's been a 12 hour coffee date by the time I get back home. uh, And neither of us had realized that the other was divorced. So this really hadn't been meant to be a date. And I wasn't sure if he picked up on the energy, but by the time I got home, um, there was an email that said, I really only have an hour tomorrow, but could we meet for coffee again? And so met for coffee again. This time he shows up with a long stem rose. And I'm thinking, this has got potential. And a year later, at that coffee shop, he asked me to marry him. But the really cool clincher is that my husband, Greg Godak is the author of 1001 Ways to Be Romantic. The universe said, you want romance? (gasps) Why didn't you say so? What did you say to the guy that wrote the book?
0: (laughs) You, you declared your vision of what you were looking for. I did. I did.
1: And and it's like, boom, you know? And I mean, really in our household, not that there aren't tough days and tough times, but between the humor and the romance, we kind of got it covered.
0: I would think that you have the two best elements to get you through a tough time.
1: I'm telling you, it really is. It really is. We, what we can leverage through that and just, living that intention, um, but being open to the spontaneity, being open to the serendipity. I think, you know, it's that, it's that combination of things that really has allowed us to create this amazing journey. Amazing and amusing. That's my life's philosophy. Live amazing, amazing and amusing.
0: And- oh, I love that combination.
1: Yeah, that's 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 my life's philosophy. And and really on a daily basis, that gets delivered.
0: You talked about goals and the importance of goals for you. To me, they're very important as well. Take a dream, but you can't stay a dream. You have to set it to be a goal and really start achieving toward it. So what for you, Karen, what is it that really moves you forward? And and when has serendipity, aside from the stories you've already shared, when has serendipity kind of maybe maybe made you pivot in a way you hadn't expected?
1: Well, I certainly think that it never entered my mind that I would go beyond life in Hannibal Missouri I mean that had just that had been what I'd been raised educated socialized you know this is what um this is what a life looks like for somebody who's female and in this generation in terms of of what to expect and when that, when that piece, you know, with, with Kathy Passanisi, and then, you know, another, I guess, a serendipitous moment, um, I went to listen to a speaker, it was a continuing education thing, um, being presented in a nearby city, and this presenter, she was marvelous, her name is Melody Shinnevert, and she was speaking on a topic that had to do with mental health, but she was hysterical. Her background was psychiatric nursing and so entertaining. And she had written a book. And again, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, somebody in my profession could do that. And I, I got up the courage and also, you know, kind of shoving from some of my, my um, friends and colleagues, I said, you know, I so want to talk to her and share with her what I what my aspirations are. And so she was presenting again the next day to a different group. And I look back now and I just kind of cringe because basically, you know, I'm, I'm it's the equivalent of showing somebody your home movies. I, you know, I'm taking her some of my homework assignments and a video that I'd done for a homework assignment. And um, I said, you know, would you review these? And and I'm just, you know, I, I so much would love to do what you do. And she was very kind and it was like, sure, I'll take a look at these. And I didn't hear for her from her for, several months. And then one day the phone rings and it's Melody Shinnivert. And she says, oh, you know, I was thinking about you because I was contacted by a group and they want a speaker on humor. And this just really wasn't being spoken about back in that time. And she said, "Um, you know, I'm funny, but I'm not an expert on humor and I would love to recommend you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I was just so stunned. And then I remember she said, how much would you charge? I, I hadn't done any speaking. I'm like, I have no idea. I was like, you know, I'd done one presentation. I was so proud I got paid $50 an hour. I was in the hole because it cost me more than that for childcare and gas. But, you know, I was like, "I, don't, I don't, you know, 500. I mean, this was back around 1990. And she said, oh, um, you know, you'd have to charge at least 1,800. And i said oh 1800 i could never do that and she said oh that's too bad i said why she goes well then i can't recommend you because they're expecting to pay me 1800 and i said ah okay i'll do that and so she set me up with a phone call we had a great conversation and the person said how much would you charge and i said (laughs) and she said oh that's wonderful and of course we'll cover your travel and in that moment, I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I go to New Mexico. I, I present to this amazing group of people. I crushed it. And, you know, so I took a leap from speaking regionally around Hannibal, Missouri. Now I'm, you know, a speaker across the country and she just starts feeding me these presentations across, you know, it was this giant leap. and so. It really did catapult me much more quickly. But again, it was that serendipitous watching somebody, observing what they did, loving what they do, having the courage to step out of my comfort zone and say, "Can you help me?" I mean, that was part of what Zig Ziglar said in that in that tape, which was a little bit, I think, in the back of my mind because he said, "Find a mentor."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't.
1: I didn't even know for sure back then a mentor was a word you didn't really hear very often. And um, to reach out to her and be given this wonderful opportunity. And then from there, it just absolutely snowballed. But yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. I just, I really, I just thought I was going to be that little hometown girl in Hannibal, Missouri. And, and, and that was, it was, it was not that I was unhappy, but now I know with the goals, it's like, this is what this is what I want and more. This is what I want and better. You know, it's like I'm open to possibilities, but I want to set those possibilities just a little bit higher and a little bit out of my comfort zone as to what I think I can achieve. Because uh, each time that I've really stretched to an area where it's like, not that, oh my God, that's absolutely impossible to, oh, that's, I don't know how likely that is it wasn't a question of if, but when, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just those things that just keep occurring in my
0: life all the time. I can completely relate to the stretching. I have a concept I call the rule of will when a boss I had named will stretched me so far out of my comfort zone and it was a good thing, but boy, was it scary at the time. I, I was yeah. not willing to go there. It took some, his request, and then some time for me to think about it and be like, okay, can I do this? Do I really want to do this at the level he's asking me to do it? And right. for me, it was a game changer. It was a major, what I call pivot point. Um, when yeah. some some surprise comes mm-hmm. my way and it's a major pivot point moving me forward to a direction I didn't even know I had on my path. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I have a a prayer that I created for myself. And part of that prayer every morning is that I surrender attachment to the outcome and let go of the need to know how, because Mm -hmm. when I try to force it in a way that I think that has to be like this, I discover that there are, are ways that if I'm just open that, you know, ways that are even so much more wonderful. And again, that attachment to the outcome, because, you know, it, it, again, I can get that outcome, but if I'm open and not
0: attached to it, I can get even better. And those things just unfold. It's, I like to think of how it, it happens to us slowly, but sometimes we feel like we're in the cocoon too long. Like with all the work yeah. that I did over the past five years. It felt like it took me a long time to get where I am right now. And the first couple of years were a struggle beyond what I expected. And then now I look back and having had that struggle created an amazing foundation. Cause I used to be the person that tried to avoid the struggle. It's like, oh, if it's that hard, then it's not coming from flow, yeah. skip it. And instead yeah. learning from the struggle, like what you talked about with me years ago of when you yeah. first sensed that struggle.
1: Yeah, you know, it and so much humor comes out of struggle. I mean, especially as adults, when we are, when we're, when we're little, our, our humor and our laughter comes from this place of joy and delight. Mm-hmm. And that is so wonderful and so, just so spontaneous and, and at this on the emotional scale. I mean, that is just so high up there joy and bliss. But I think that for us as adults, so much of our humor comes from relief, you know, it's like the horrible things that are happening, and I, I mean, just a kind of a crazy example, the beginning of, of COVID, I mean, the humor that came out of the, the, the shortage of toilet paper, right. I, mean, come on. I mean, you know, some of the, the life's absurdities that we have, but, you know, and a lot of that humor may be dark, um, but I still think that, it can be very healing and very positive. But really, it's like when I look at the things that make me laugh so many times, they're the things that in the moment drove me crazy, or at the time were painful, you know, like the time uh, I'm, I'm sitting in a theater, a crowded theater, my two young children were watching Turner and Hooch. And, you know, we're at a point where everybody's gripping their seats and holding their breath and because it, it appears the dog is about to die when my five-year-old leaps up out of his chair and announces to God in the entire theater, I've got an M&M stuck up my nose, yeah, and it's like, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm horrified, you know, and people are starting to turn around, and I'm like, sit down, sit down, sit down, you know, and I try to reach up, and it's, we both panic, because it's so far up in his nose, it's about to fall into his brain, and he's beginning to cry, and more people are starting to turn around, and now nobody cares if the dog is going to die, and I say, you know, blow into mommy's hand, and he's like, it's still stuck, and I'm having flashbacks to when I was working in the ER, and people would bring their children in with something stuck up their nose, like a a Lego or a Barbie doll head, and you know, they're saying, I'm a good parent, I just looked away for a moment, I'm going, oh, of course you are, and then I'm saying to the other nurse, call family services, and I'm having this this flow of ideas and finally I'm trying to calm him down and I say okay mommy's going to put her finger on the other side of your nose I want you to blow as hard as you can and so he does and now this green M&M impales itself into the palm of my hand and while I'm deliberating over how do you get rid of this toxic waste I feel something brush my palm and I hear him say it's mine at the time I didn't think I was ever going to live it down but now (laughs) when I'm in a stressful situation and i just need to be present and have a brain break i can pull on that memory because it makes me laugh it mm-hmm. makes me laugh you know there now is the humor that came from that pain and so i think if people will allow themselves to to experience a little bit of emotional distance and and say you know what's funny about this that we can have so many more of those moments
0: <laughs> i love that you shared that <laughs> It reminds me of the concept when actors say that they're going to think of some real sad moment because they have to act in a real sad way, but I never thought about flipping it and taking it to the fun side. I love that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I was going to tell, I was, I I was coaching this high performer the other day and I started to use the word Rolodex and I thought they're probably not old enough to know what a Rolodex is, but this, this person, one of the things that I I kept our session, I was like, what is it, why is this person, they just seem so closed, so closed off. And I realized at the end of our first session, they didn't smile, they never smiled. And, and you know, I, everybody is hardwired to smile and laugh. Deaf babies and blind babies smile and laugh. When, when we are not smiling or laughing, we either have brain damage, which is not the case with most people, or somehow we've been socialized to wipe that smile off our face, or not laugh out loud or straighten up or act your Be age professional. Or, what do you think we're paying you for around here? And that was one of the things that, that I asked him to do. I said, you know, I want you to start thinking about these moments of mirth. And throughout the day, I want you to have a cue somewhere, you know, on your computer or somewhere or even setting a timer at least once a day on your phone and just check in, you know, are you smiling? Have you had a smile for him? I was starting with smiling instead of you know usually I start with people in terms of finding some humor or some laughter, but we kind of work in him up the the scale there um, but but to be able to tap into those because here's the one of the cool things I learned about the brain, and that is um, we know that the brain in in so many different ways can't tell the difference between an actual event and one that's happened in the past or going to happen in the future or we think it's going to happen in the future I mean you know you start thinking about oh my goodness am I going to have you know enough work six months from now and and it's like that hasn't even happened but now your physiology is getting all and and to just tap into something that was humorous that happened or something humorous that you think, you know, I'm looking forward to going seeing Mike Birbiglia, you know, in a, in a month or two, and he's one of my favorite comedians, you know, that anticipatory effect, we know, we've known for decades, the negative anticipatory effect of stress, but now we've discovered with the brain, the anticipatory effect of humor, and positive emotions and how can we harness those, because we don't ever have to be funny, it's tapping in and leveraging those moments that allow us to just really enhance our well-being, our resilience, our coping abilities, our spiritual practices and it's like that's that's where i want
0: to be. I love that and the the dopamine and just the, the chemical release of laughter. I have I have a couple photographs that people have taken taken of me over the years and there there aren't many but every once in a while someone'll catch you at that moment. And you've heard people with the ugly cry, you know, they don't want to get captured. Yeah. The ugly cry. I have the ugly laugh. I mean, hilarious. <laughs> it's me laughing so hard. And when my kids were little and it would happen, I went through a period of time when the kids were little where I wasn't laughing a lot. There was just a lot going on and yeah. life is really busy. And I, something would happen. I was laughing so hard and the kids are like, get the camera, take a picture of mom. So I have a couple Photos of me laughing so hard. One, a friend, Joni, her son took it. And I was so glad she sent it to me because it was at some public event. And I have that one. And I have one of watching my oldest son turn one, having his first cupcake and he's covered. And I am beside him. And in both photos, I'm wearing red. And I have this hilarious laugh. And that is when you talk about going to something that brings you the smile on your face those are two for me. And it makes me realize I need to get those pictures out where I see them more often. Uh, Right. I was just going to say that don't
1: bury them. I mean, that's another, another piece of advice I give people is, you know, manipulate your environment. How can you increase the likelihood of having more of these experiences, you know, and if you have a picture of you just ugly laugh, I mean, you know, the kind where you just lean over and your stomach hurts and, and, you know, you have tears running down your face and running down your legs i mean it's just like those are the guys we just laugh till you leak you know my husband and i occasionally we have these these experiences and i think laughter is a great barometer of a relationship whether that's you know between you and your child you and your spouse you and your lover you and your colleagues Uh, because when the laughter goes away you need to say ooh. Ooh, you know, let's pay attention. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. But I remember us watching a show, and um, it it was, you know, it was during particularly during the early days of COVID when we were just feeling so stressed, and work had wiped off the calendar, and we're watching Boston Legal, which n- neither of us had seen before, and the the character Denny Crane. And there was a scene in there spontaneously where he he did something that caught us so off guard that we we laughed uncontrollably. I mean, we had to pause it and and this went on. I kid you not. This went on for like 20 minutes. It was one of those things where we were laughing so hard that finally we were because one of us would stop and gain control and and then, you know, the other one would keep laughing and then they we'd look at each other and then, you know, start all over again just that ugly. We went into separate rooms and you know, you'd come back but we'd see one another and start again. And it was just this, I mean, the next day, our stomach's hurt, our faces hurt. And Greg was like, oh, let's go back. Let's go back. You know, do that again. And it was like, you can't recapture it exactly because part of it was the spontaneity of that moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can think back. I mean, I can't think of that without just with a smile on my face. And sometimes, you know, when you're experiencing this, you may not even have a smile on your face. It may just be your brain going, oh, that's funny, and that's okay because that's enough of a brain break. Like you said, you know, when we're in that state of stress, we have that, that cascade of negative neurotransmitters and things going out throughout our body, but when we can cut that off, even if it's just for a moment and stop it, and better yet, insert that little bit of humor so that now we have that positive cascade of neurotransmitters and oxytocin, right. which allows us to connect with that other person and all the dopamine and the wonderful things that go on. Yeah, do it. You know, because again, spontaneity, spontaneity, awesome. Serendipity, awesome. But with that little bit of intentionality, now
0: you just leveraged it up, up the water, just incredibly. I just want to invite listeners right now to make a list of ten times when you have laughed so much, or things that are coming to your memory, because things are coming to my memory. Yeah. Karen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this on as my own project after we finished. Because here's something that yeah. came to mind for me, being in high school and going to church with my best friend, Trisha, sitting in the back and trying not to laugh because someone said something and we're trying not to have anyone hear us. So it's like you're, yeah. you're laughing and you're trying to make no noise at all. And <laughs> that, I haven't thought of that for years, but just bringing that Ugh. back and the, the things that we do to laugh. And yes, yes, there are some people that are paid to make us laugh, but what you've taught me is the importance of me finding humor in something. And I would love for you to share about how you talk with leaders about the importance of them sharing humor and not showing up like I used to, of showing up there and being professional. You know, can you share a little bit about that importance of sharing humor with people that you want to connect with? Well, you know, what you and I just experienced, I think
1: it's a great example because, you know, a lot of times people are really struggling to think, oh, you know, what kind of, because I did this for a while when I was working with corporate, when I first went into corporate, I think, oh, I have to have these corporate examples of how to use humor in the workplace. And what I realized was what's most personal is what's most universal. You know, I was asked to speak to <clears throat> over 5,000 financial planners in, in Bangkok, you know, and and these folks, English is not their first language. They can understand it, most of them, but they can't, a lot of them can't speak it, and, and so I had to think, what am I going to tell these people? You know, I had to take out cultural references. I had to take out wordplay. I had to take out um, so many other things that I would normally have spoken about, and so, so much of that presentation was about the personal experiences, and these, somebody had told me, Now, don't feel bad when nobody laughs because, you know, that's you're not going to get that response. And these people were laughing so hard. I thought either they really get it or the interpreter is saying she say something funny, laugh hard here. And, you know, but afterwards people come up, you know, and they're sharing with me these experiences. And so, you know, to go to, to your point of coming up with these stories that you start thinking of, I, I have a list, you know, I have a story list and whenever I, it's something, a memory comes up that I haven't thought of in a long time, you know, this list is really long, but I throw it on the list. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that before I go and speak to a group, you know, what is something that it's a personal story that might resonate. Uh, The other thing is that with the stories, particularly with leaders, if some of these stories, they don't have to be the hero. You know, if there's a little self-effacing humor, um, here's a couple of things that happen. One, to use a humor where you are vulnerable shows that you have confidence. You know, the other thing from a brain perspective is that to show something a little bit vulnerable, you've lowered the status a little bit. You're less of a brain threat. And in terms of vulnerability, we know at a at just a reptile part of our brain level, that sharing humor with vulnerability, we're being open. You can trust me. You can connect with me. And when leaders recognize that using that humor can actually expand and enhance the level of trust and expand and and strengthen the connections that they have with their team. You know, it makes them more likable. People want to do work and, and work for people that they know, like, and trust. This is some a, a really good way to do that. Um, in you know, you look at any of the research about today um, where people want to work, you know, having enjoyment in their job has gone way up. Yeah, in terms of, of money. It's not the thing that is necessarily enticing people in. It may get them in the door, but it's not going to keep them there if the If the philosophy in a workplace is that firings will continue until morale improves, right people are going to leave you know and when you have these uh, one of the companies that I worked with um, started implementing humor, and what they found was that the employees first of all, enjoyed it so much, they started engaging more with one another. They stayed longer and they started getting more requests of people to, you know, people wanted to apply to work there because it was a, it was a better place to work. They were like-minded people who enjoyed laughter, who enjoyed connecting. And eventually it even um, expanded to the clientele that they started working with. They said, the, the gentleman at the top said, you know, some of these stuffed shirts did fall away. And he goes, but that was okay, because they were a pain to work with anyway. And we started attracting the people that we really liked working with, and they liked us, and we have fun in the process. It's not that they don't work hard, but they also have fun. And so I would say to these leaders, step a little bit out of your comfort zone, be authentic you know, and, and don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable, because this can really strengthen your relationship and rapport engagement with the people that you're leading.
0: And Karen, you know, you know, my passion about blood donation. And Uh, you and I have talked about this recently, and we'll go into some special invitation, you know, that Karen has in just a moment when it comes to blood donation. Um, But before we go there, I really want to make sure I talk with you about the medical community right now because there's a lot of stress. Um, at this recording, we still are in COVID and the COVID experience. And Karen, there's, it can be really hard when people are strained and you're talking about humor and nursing. Can you share, because I know you're in this community helping on in this area, can yeah. you Talk a little bit about the importance of humor and how we can support those people in the medical community?
1: You know, I, the medical community right now, I I do think that this is one of the most trying times. I think in the history of healthcare. I mean, I I, I can't attest to that. I wasn't back in the Crimean War with Florence Nightingale. But when you know, when I talk to people right now, the anxiety, the frustration, the depression, the despair, the PTSD, that's even suicidal thoughts that I am hearing from so many people in healthcare need support in terms of their mental health and humor is such an amazing way to help support that mental health in so many ways. You know, and we've already talked about the fact that it can help disconnected people feel connected. One of the interesting things about humor is also that it allows people to express something that they might be angry about or hurt about in a socially acceptable way and so i think that in terms of letting people know that that this is a means that you can communicate with is really important and a lot of people will use dark humor because the closer we are to tragedy the closer we are to death the darker our humor becomes and to not maybe judge those people to say oh my gosh you're so horrible because you're 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 laughing about this but to maybe put yourself in their shoes and to give them a bit of a break to say, okay, you know, they're they're in a lot of pain and let's recognize that this is a way to help them heal, heal themselves and heal their their colleagues. In terms of the actual healthcare providers themselves, I encourage them to use all kinds of humor. I encourage them to use dark humor. I do like to add the caveat that if if you are cognizant enough to have a filter to, I mean, we never want to promote humor that's going to hurt other people. You know, I'm not advocating use humor to to bully or put people down, but to to use those those humor breaks to again because their brains are on fire, how do we stop that fire? And I think that even just short periodic breaks, one of the things that I'm working on with a couple of organizations is a 52 week series of just 1 minute videos that are whimsical, but provide a mental health message. Because I think that if it's not whimsical, they're probably not going to open it. And I think if it's longer, much longer than a minute, they're not going to stick with it and watch it. But to, it's, the, it's not just a Band-Aid on a brain tumor. And, and for people to go in one time and say, oh, let's watch a funny movie and make you laugh. That's great for the moment. But to add that intentionality and consistency over time, I think that this can be a game changer and, uh, and I would really bet my career on that. So, you know, that's one of the things that I'm moving forward to do in an effort to help people with their mental health is to show, here's the, the little ways that you can start implementing this for yourself. And as a result, it's going to help others because what we see in, in healthcare the ramifications of this, oh my goodness, you know, people are leaving in droves. So that in itself is causing tremendous problems. And I think that people don't even realize they haven't been affected yet as the time of you and I taping this, what the ramifications are gonna be for themselves and loved ones when they need medical care and there's not gonna be enough people there to do it. But just the fact that we talked about earlier when we're under a great deal of stress, our prefrontal cortex gets hijacked, we can't problem solve. We can't be creative. We make mistakes, we make errors. You know, I know that I've talked to many nurses who've said, that person didn't get the best care that they should have or they received the wrong medication or they got the wrong treatment or they didn't get something they were supposed to get because I couldn't think straight. And it's like, oh, how do you measure that? I'm not sure. But, but this is something that I think is really critical that I am very devoted to, to trying to make an impact and encouraging others as best they can to support these people And to help them um, just, again, at least even if it's just for a moment, douse the fire, douse the fire in their brains.
0: And Karen and I, you, Karen, you and I talked recently just about serendipity and how it's not really um, the, the positive thing. I don't believe it's run around and do intentional good things, and good things will come your way. I believe when you do things from your heart, when you do something that's really heart centered, it's amazing the good things that come your way. And with my connection to encouraging people to donate blood, you and I talked specifically on that topic. And I talked with you about how I can set up for you a virtual blood drive. And as a result of this interaction, you'll be able to see below a link so that you can sign up to donate through Karen's virtual blood drive. And what that means is you click on a form, you fill out a little bit about yourself and I'm associated with Vitalant and you can go to a Vitalant center and donate blood. And if you don't have a Vitalant near you, go to a center near you and save lives. As a nurse, Karen, what would you like to share about the importance of blood donation?
1: You know, I people just so don't realize how important this is. And this really is, it's something that's incredibly helpful to save lives. And I think that so many people uh, aren't aware of the fact that you can actually be healthier by blood donations, because one of the things that happens when you donate blood and you all of a sudden, now your system is short of blood, your body reproduces it. And it's just like a muscle. If you do this on a regular basis, now your body is used to in a shorter and shorter and shorter amount of time, replacing that blood so that if you are ever, God forbid, in an accident and and you are in in a situation where you've lost a lot of blood, the good news is your body is going to respond so much more quickly and replace that blood loss so much more quickly than if you'd never donated at all. So in essence, basically, you can be saving other people's lives, but you might even in the long run be saving your
0: own life. Oh, my goodness. I love that. And A lot of people think when they go to the hospital, if something were to happen to them, they just assume there's gonna be blood on the shelf. Well, with COVID, it has really thrown um, some kinks in that blood supply. And we've lost some long-term donors that aren't here anymore, maybe because of medication, maybe because of other health issues, maybe they've passed away. And for me, when I have a long-term donor, someone over the age of 60, who's been donating six times a year, when they stop donating for some reason, let's say they're on medication, there aren't a lot of people younger to come in who are willing to donate six times a year. There are people right, that'll right. say, oh, you know, I'll do it once. That's kind of cool. I'll do it a couple times a year. I encourage people to, every time you celebrate your birthday, celebrate another year on this earth and donate blood and then celebrate your half birthday. That's a great so- idea. So even if we just do that, if I can get more people to show up and donate at their birthday and their half birthday, I need to get three people to come in to donate to replace that one person that kind of aged out. I don't really like to use the term aged out because yeah. you can donate at any age if you're healthy.
1: But I mean, you know, you just gave me a great idea because I know that um, like on Facebook all the time I see, you know, oh, it's somebody's birthday and they say, oh, in honor of my birthday, you know, give to this charity and people you're asking people to donate money. but it's like, Hey, for my birthday, go donate blood. You know, it's like, what a, what a great uh, idea. I'm going to do that on my birthday. Now.
0: I've done that a, a few times where it's a friend's birthday and I'll let them know you're on the other side of the country. And honestly, I don't know exactly what you need, but I'm going to donate in your, in honor of your birthday today. And they respond to me with this great amazing idea. gift because we let other people have longer lives by giving our generous gift of blood and our time. And then it, it isn't just for the recipient of the blood. It is for their loved ones. And I've had people say to me, well, what if that blood goes to someone and they don't make it? And I say, what if that blood goes to someone and they live a few days longer so their loved ones can get to them? There's so much positivity out there and there's the ability to give blood and do something selfless for the benefit of a complete stranger is a wonderful formula for moving
1: forward right now I will tell you that as a nurse you know earlier in my career whether it was on a medical floor or in the OR that could be the difference between life and death for for so many people And you know, particularly those with a a rare blood type, but for anybody, I mean, to have an accident victim come in or somebody with an aneurysm, and I mean, the the blood is just flying. But if it weren't for that, the person would have had no chance. And so I I think that you're just so spot on. And I mean, really, this does spark some ideas as to, you know, we got Christmas coming up, we got Thanksgiving coming up, we got Hanukkah coming up. It's like you know, in in the spirit of giving and thanksgiving and appreciation and gratitude and gratefulness. It's like, what a great way to show how grateful I am to be here and to help somebody who might otherwise not be here. If not for your gift.
0: Exactly. And I had a doctor tell me all the training I can do when the, when the patient needs blood products, my training is not enough. I need blood products donated from complete strangers And that's when the doctor can step in and make all the difference. That's when the nurse steps in. Um, My sister-in-law is a a NICU baby nurse. And she said, Linda, I give babies a tablespoon of blood and it makes all the difference. So I invite all of you to consider donating, start donating blood, do something wonderful, share it with a complete stranger. But Karen, now I want to pay it forward. Absolutely. I want to circle back to you. We're going to wrap up shortly. Is there, are there any other serendipity topics that you, we really need to include in our conversation? Oh My gosh, I'm sure
1: there are. I'm sure there are. Um, And of course, being put on the spot right here, I'm not, I, I don't think of a one, but you know, whether it's been, I mean, you know, one day I started tracing back to where I am today. And I got back as far as my, you know, I started thinking about my high school boyfriend, you know, if I hadn't dated this guy, then I wouldn't have married this guy. And it's like, oh, I mean, really, when you think back to this, it's like so many things just had to be just at that moment in that place at that time. And I'm personally looking forward to being more in tune to and recognizing, recognizing some of the, the serendipitous moments that are going to be coming into my life as we speak, and, you know, this, this day, this week, this month, and to, you know, being so much more appreciative of that, and, and thinking about how even can I leverage those serendipity moments, and so you've given me such a gift today, and some things to think about, and I really appreciate that, and I encourage the people who are listening to us, you know, to list your serendipity moments, list your humor moments list list your moments of mirth you know, we want to hear from you and and again just this this is like the domino effect because you sharing this is going to be a serendipity moment for somebody else who needed to hear what you had to say and so um with that i just really thank you for this opportunity
0: and karen people that want to learn more about you where can they go? How can they learn more about what you've done? I know you have a lot of books. What would you like them to know? Oh, gosh.
1: You know, there are so many different things that, um, that I would like to help people with. and I, I, you know, I love connecting with people on social media, um, LinkedIn especially, and uh, my name is Karen with a Y, uh, and I'm not one of those bad Karens. I'm really a, quite a good Karen. I really am distressed that my name has been thrown under the bus, but, you know, Karen Buxman, um, and you'll find that down in the show notes. Um, I, I would love for people to take a look at the TED Talk. Um, that was a labor of love. And I think that it goes into a little bit, even more explanation about humor in the brain for those of you who are interested in ways that humor can help you and and help our planet in, in some very positive ways. And then uh, very selfishly, uh, you know, I created a page for myself and now I've opened it up to anybody that wants to take a look. And I started putting in like, What can I create as a brain break? Just these little like one minute videos and things that make me laugh and just give me that little bit of respite when I don't have a lot of time. And so I created a a page, it's called stressrecoverytoolkit.com. And on it, I also put up a, a stress report card and some other things and some tools that you can use to help manage and and measure your progress but you know a lot of things I just put on there just for entertainment sake for the brain break and so if you go there and it makes you think of something that oh you know she needs to add this please let me know because it is it's not a destination it's a journey it's a work in progress and so um, stressrecoverytoolkit.com you can uh, go there and get some respite for yourself.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Karen. I certainly appreciate it. I'm going to be smiling more. (laughs) As we wrap up, I am smiling more and I'm going to be conscious about adding more smiles to my day because nowadays a lot of us at the time of this recording, we're still wearing masks and when we smile, we can see it in our eyes. That's right. A real
1: smile shows up in your eyes. And so you know, make that gesture, smile at people, because, you know, this is, it's a disconnected world. And I think that that's one way that we really can connect.
0: So wonderful to see you again, Karen. You as well. And I love it. I love spending time with you. Students yes, end. this is wonderful. So I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We sure appreciate it. And we'd love to invite you to participate in what you learned. We hope you took notes today. And we hope after this, you're gonna take action. Because for me, I find when those serendipity moments take, take shape in my life, it's what I do, what I act on that makes all the difference. So write down those funny moments from your history. And like Karen said, recall them for the future. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next time. Check out the show notes below where you can sign up for Karen's virtual blood drive or learn more ways you can connect with Karen.